Hosting for Your Tech Life, proudly provided by Web Central. Everything technology, from computers to mobile phones, TVs and the internet. Information you want, want. all the help you need. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. And thank you for listening. Your Tech Life is the name of the show. My name is Trevor Long. This is episode 230 of Your Tech Life. The website, eftm.com.au, everything for the man stood for. Stands for anything we want now. EF for Freddy, eftm.com.au. Or you can go to yourtechlife.com. goes to all the same place. Um, on the show, I like to try and help you with your technology problems, questions or issues. Uh, we'll get back to calls next week. I've got a, a stack of um, fun things to talk about tonight, including the future of payment technology, um, the gaming industry and how ratings apply, the size of the industry and the scale, children and tablets, as in tablet computers, mobile phone prepaid plans, um, the digital TV retune and the Formula One. All these things, all these things are coming up on Your Tech Life, episode 230. Uh, it's great to hear from you when uh, when I can. Uh, if you could go to the website eftm.com.au, just click on email Trevor Long. You can't really miss the link. It's a big, ugly headshot of me. Um, and uh, tell me what I can do for you. What question do you have about technology that I can help you with? And I'll try and help you. That's the point of the show. Uh, it's all thanks to the good people at Garmin, Garmin satellite navigation and GPS technologies. Uh, great to have their support, as always, and great to have your support. And I mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago the, the iTunes feedback and comments that have been coming in. Um, uh, you know, I just want to say it's it's a fun thing doing the show. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy talking to the you know the people I've got on the show tonight. I learn a lot, as hopefully do you. Um, I love trying to help people with their questions and problems, but it's funny because I sit here alone. And uh, it's like on the radio, but it's interesting when you're on the radio because radio's live and, uh, you know, people can call up that very moment. I mean, I did a spot with Red Simons on uh, ABC 774 Breakfast this week and uh, just chatting away about the digital TV retune and then someone rang up and we were able to have a chat and talk. See, podcasts aren't that way. Digital download, on-demand technology doesn't allow for that interaction, so... Unless you've got a problem or, or you send me an email, I don't know that you're there. Do you know what I mean? And um, so, I mean, it's kind of a humble brag ego thing, but it is just really nice. It, it Honestly, it's really nice to go to iTunes and uh, click on the ratings and reviews for Your Tech Life and uh, and then go to the most recent comments and, you know, there they are. Congratulations on the most outstanding pod- podcast, so informative and entertaining. Um Ant says, this guy, Trevor knows his tech and knows it well. Been loving the podcast for a long time. Keep it up. Uh, <laughs> Daggy Tech Dad. Trevor provides great info and support. Very inspiring. He's always happy to help the, help uh, or to bat for the non-tech savvy. Plus, he's a daggy dad like me. I mean, you know, it, it really does make me feel great. It makes me remember why I do this, why I sit here um, after the kids are in bed, um, why I spent the time and effort building this little studio that hopefully sounds good, um, hopefully the show sounds professional, and I put a bit of effort in. Uh, and that's why I do it, because you're you're there and you're saying how good it is and, and that you're listening. Um, it really helps to, to know that, and uh, it helps me keep motivated, keep pushing on and keep doing it. 230 shows down, no reason why we can't keep going the same amount again. But, um, you know, sometimes you go through ups and downs. Sometimes you think, is there any point doing this? Is everyone, is it, hello? And uh, it's just great to read those comments. So whether it's a, a comment on iTunes or whether you send me an email just to say hi, whether you uh, tweet me at Trevor Long or whether you need help and you want to have a chat about a piece of technology, just go to the website, eftm.com.au. Great to have your company here on Your Tech Life. So I've got a note this week from Aldi Mobile. Uh, now, Aldi Mobile launched um, back in late 2012, uh, a couple of months after Kogan Mobile launched, and they were using the same wholesale provider, ISP1, uh, uh, contracted onto the Telstra network. 
They had similar plans to Kogan as well, not quite as much data, but you know, $35 a month with 5 gigabytes of data. Now, after the ISP1 collapse, uh, Aldi Mobile went directly to Telstra and did a deal there uh, which allowed them to keep going. They reduced the data down to 2.5 gig. They've announced new value packs. Uh, Aldi Mobile launches new value pack plans. And what that means is no, no more of the big stuff. Uh, and essentially, this is the future of prepaid. This is the future of the MVNO, MVNO, the mobile virtual network operator space. And I, I've been saying this for a little while since that collapse. It, it couldn't be sustained. So the new plans from Aldi at the top end is $35. Uh, you get one gigabyte of data. You get 2,200 2, SMSs in that period, that 30 days. Um, you get 1,250 minutes of calls. Now, that's um, that's pretty cool. I actually think that's a good deal. It's just that it's so far off what it used to be that I think they probably will have, have trouble with some customers thinking, what? It used to be this and now it's that? So I think in the end, if you're a customer looking for three and four gig of data, Aldi Mobile's not for you. Um, you can buy data packs, but you're probably better off with the big guys. Be looking at Voter and Optus and Telstra. Uh, Aldi Mobile, though, the average user you know, across the country is using three, four, five hundred meg a month. So a gigabyte is good. And I think that what you need to accept is that if you're complaining about it, it's not, you're not everyone. This is a good deal for a lot of people. A $30 plan has the same amount of data, but less minutes of talk time. Um, and there's $20 a month will get you 300 megabytes. Uh as I say, I still think it's good value. And to the narc that went on the EFTM website and told me that I had no credibility because I thought that had good value, good luck, mate. He didn't leave his name. No no name, no email address, just a random, idiotic comment. Um, you know, seriously. Grow up. You know, if I've got no credibility, let's talk. Call me on it. Well, you know, 1-800-157-157 is my number. And my email address is just go to the website and you can get in touch. It all comes directly to me. There's no random staff around me here. Uh, so if I've got no credibility, good luck. But I think you'll find that still a lot of people will think 35 bucks for a gig of data and all those minutes and texts is actually good value. Uh, so I think disappointing for Aldi mobile customers. And they'll probably lose some people as a result. But all in all, still a good opportunity to go prepaid in uh, in the mobile space. Not as good as you're going to get with a MaySIM, but if you want to be on the Telstra network, it's kind of where you need to be. So that's the new value packs from uh, from Ali Mobile, which essentially is the, the complete relaunch of the service now without all the um, huge unlimiteds and, and, and huge excess data. So that's the new plans from Aldi, Ali Mobile. You can check them out at eftm.com.au. Your Tech Life each and every week brought to you by the good people at Garmin, Garmin Satellite Navigation and GPS Technologies. And all you've got to do is go to their website, garmin.com.au. Um, if you click on Explore and their in-car range, you'll see a huge range of uh, GPS systems for your car. And I've just clicked on the uh, 3597 Nuvi. Uh, and the Nuvi is one that has the free lifetime maps and traffic. Now, this 3597 is the Prestige Series. It's as Garmin say, it's our best navigation. A five-inch, high-resolution, dual-orientation display with pinch and zoom. So it looks and acts just like a smartphone. Detailed maps with free lifetime updates. Garmin real directions, free lifetime traffic alerts. Voice-activated navigation, Bluetooth and smartphone link compatible. And the thing is, like if you think about um, the traffic, with Garmin traffic, you're driving maps remains on screen at all time, and traffic alerts appear to the side of your map, and messages are spoken as well. Garmin Real Directions is an amazing feature, uh, redefining the spoken turn-by-turn directions, because with Garmin Real Directions, easy-to-understand driving directions that guide you like a friend, using recognisable landmarks, building and traffic lights, means no more stress from trying to read street names uh, and trying to look for the street names on, on, as, you, as you're on the go. Uh, cracking little product, a beautiful device, uh, sleek design and a great-looking screen. The Nuvi 3597 from Garmin. Check it out at garmin.com.au. 
www.trevorlong.com.au. Talking technology without the jargon. Your, Your tech, tech life with Trevor Long. Man, thank you for listening. Your tech life is the name of the show. My name Trevor Long. Episode 230, and you can listen each and every week at iTunes or at eftm.com.au. Now, I had a chat, uh, I think it was last week, I was talking on the radio on, on many of my spots across the country about Titanfall, big new game for Xbox, um, a blockbuster title for, for Microsoft and a really important thing for them. And the question came up, you know, what's it rated? And, and when you have violence in games, how do we manage that? And I was talking to, to I think it was 6PR in Perth, about how this is... Um, this is an MA15 Plus game. I remember my son looking at the cover, and he knows the rating systems very well. Uh, and he, he kind of you know walked away from it, and you know, knowing that he wouldn't get a look. And I was talking about how this game didn't really, in my mind, have the gruesome violence that you can definitely see in some games. It was more shoot them, they die, but at least the kind of bodies don't lie around and all that kind of stuff. And it got me thinking about the rating system and, and the fact that we, we do have an R18 Plus rating now, which is something new to Australia. And to talk about that on the line is Ron Curry, the CEO of the Interactive Games and Entertainment Association, the IGEA in Australia. How are you doing, mate? I'm very well, thanks, Trevor. Mate, the, um, I mean, gaming, I'm on, the, on the edge. I'm on the very fringe of this. So I play a few games. Obviously, I get to, get to play a lot of games when they're sent to me, but I'm not really you know, engrossed in it. I, I enjoy my racing car games and things like that. So ratings is not something I've really desperately been exposed to other than, you know, in the last few years, there was a lot of um, a lot of push towards getting an R18 classification because if we go back a step, only a few years ago, if a game was internationally rated highly in terms of its its uh, classification, it, it was possibly not available here. It was excluded from this country, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. The highest classification we did have until uh, January in 2013 was an MA15+. So essentially, you're right. Anything that fell into that like adult category received a re- what we call a refused classification in Australia. And we're not talking, when we say adult, we, I mean, there, there, are, there is uh, sexual content in, in some games, but it's often more the violence in the games and, and the level of violence that gets, into, gets it into the, um, what was the excluded category. Yeah, it's all about the impact, and you know, that, that impact could be violence by itself, or it could be a mix. It could mm. be you know, some drug use or nudity or you know, sex or, or the themes or, or, or how all those combined together will impact um, that the person is interacting yeah, with the game, right. and so the in I mean, obviously it's a it's a long story because it was a, it was a process and a, and a well run process, you know, by all accounts, because we got the right result in the end. It was probably too long for the people who wanted the R eighteen classification, but in the end, the governments joined together and we have that classification now. That's right. And it was a really long process, and one of the things that made it a very long process is for any change to the classif- guideline, classification guidelines requires each state and territory and the Commonwealth to agree. Right. So that's eight attorneys general. Every attorney general has to sit around a table and go, yep, I'm cool with that change. Pretty much. And all it takes is one attorney general. And we did go through a whole number of years where there was a single attorney general who every time it was tabled just said, sorry, fellas, don't agree, you're not going to have it. And which state and that, was that again? Was that South Australia? South Australia, Australia? yeah. Which pretty much just said, well, that's it then. The conversation's terminated. Mm. Um, you know, the next gag meeting will be in another three or six months. And that's the other thing. The meetings are so far apart. Yeah. Uh, and the way our Commonwealth works is pretty much every time you went to a new meeting, you may have a new minister. Yes. Because there's been another election somewhere around the country. Yeah. So it, was, it, it became quite difficult until the Commonwealth actually, I guess, really took control of it uh, and said, you know what, we're just going to push this through now. We're going we're to work hard. We're going to work with the attorneys. We're uh, sick of seeing this this thing come in front of us. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And, you know. We're the only country in the world who doesn't have it. You know, we did a lot of research and probably over the last five or six years have been demonstrating the average age of a gamer is 33 years old and, you know, you what population of the... Um, so what percentage of the population were gaming and, you know, slowly by giving some facts um, to the debate... Mm. Yeah, it helped us move that along. Because when you're talking to Attorney General about introducing an R18 classification, he thinks, um, you know, being an old fuddy-duddy politician who doesn't have a grasp on reality, and I'm saying that, not you, he, he thinks it's a 15-year-olds that are going to want to play these games, and you need to make the point that this is a this is a big industry. This is almost bigger than the movie industry in many ways, uh, and and it's not just about kids. It's, it's about, you know, adults, mature, uh, responsible adults uh, enjoying a, an entertainment that is interactive. It's a game. But it's an interactive entertainment. That's as simple as that, isn't it? Well, it's true. And, and, you know, if you look at film or if you look at books, there's film and books and different literature that's targeted and made for a, for a mature audience, for an adult audience. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with that. 
No, and we, we accept that in society. And this is the, it's often the funny thing, and I, I digress heavily, but we'll get back on path. But it's a funny thing about the internet. A lot of people, you know, want an open and free internet and all those kind of things. And I'm opposed to that, not broadly, but in the sense that, hang on a minute, society has ratings, society has controls. You know, let's not just abandon all of that. And what's funny is in gaming, it was, we have all these controls, but in your space, no, no, we're not going to, we're not even going to let you go there. It's like just completely backward when you can go on. You could buy a pornographic movie at any age, um, you know, over the age of 18, but you can't play a game that even skirts around that uh, that concept. So, you know, it was an interestingly weird thing that, that I think the gaming community rightly uh, pushed and got behind and in, in the end got a great result out of. Um, how many games, um, just you know, anecdotally, you might not know the, the exact number, but how many games now have that classification? Oh, the, I don't know, good question. Probably about 20 or so yeah, of those it's, games. But it's not like there's hundreds. Yeah. No, no. You know, one of the fears was that you know we would hear from a lot of the attorneys that you know as soon as we have R18, there's going to be this great swathe of games, you know, drop into the country. Well, it was the fact that you know if a game was released globally, it was submitted in Australia for classification, and either got one or didn't. Mm. It wasn't like they were all held back because it's it's kind of a stupid argument. It wasn't like you know Australia had this big wall around it, um, you know, waiting for this horrible material to come. Mm. And, uh, and that's the other thing we were trying to point out as well. You know, everything that was available globally, we were submitting anyhow. Yeah, it's get. I mean, the, the, especially the 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 adults of this country uh, are smart enough and and you know have the means, whether it's financial or whatever, to just go and get it elsewhere anyway. Um, right. I mean, the other the other thing that, that we found you know troublesome with it is we take a, a game that had an adult narrative, and we knew like if you went in the US or the UK, it was an adult property. We made a few little um, changes to it uh, to take out the worst of the yeah. um, of the material, and then we said, "Okay, now it's fine. It's an MA15 plus." <laughs> and we we're like, "No, hang on a sec. There's still the complete narrative, still adult. Yeah. You know, it's, let's stick it in R18, and so it's really clear who this material is for, and more importantly, who it's not for." Now, I want to talk about the, the, the industry as a whole, which is just blockbuster in proportion. But before we do that, while we're talking classifications. Um, you know, it's such an interesting space because there's this debate, uh, which is kind of unhad. Um, it doesn't happen. People just, just don't want to talk about it much, which is parenting versus classifications and versus, um, you know, the, the restrictions that exist in technology. You know, I don't think I'm an amazing parent and I certainly have a long way to go because my, my oldest is only seven, but you know, he's got a Nintendo 3DS. And um, he wasn't allowed to play Skylanders until he was seven, I think it was, um, because the little rating thing had six plus or something on it. And, and he knew that. And he looks at games now and he goes, oh, they're PG. And, and we talk about the fact that, you know, we, we, we sit down with him and play it for the first couple of times so that we can understand why it's PG and not G. And, you know, I'm hopeful that um, that I'll get to a point where he is cool with the fact that I'm not going to let him play, you know, higher rated games than his age. Obviously, there's an age, isn't there? probably 13, 14, that it gets really difficult because you've got this peer pressure where other parents are letting their kids play 15-plus games and you get this pressure on you. I mean, is that a conversation that needs to be had a bit more, do you think? Yeah, it certainly is. And the time, and generally we try to have this conversation around Christmas. Over the last three or four years, we've tried to get in the media and said, saying to parents, you know what, if you're going to give a gift, if you're going to give a new console or a handheld, it's got parental controls in it. Right. You set them up. Don't give it to your kid and ask them to set it up. Mm. You set them up and you say, <laughs> this machine will only play a G and a PG or a PG and an M. Mm. You make the decision. And then probably more important than that is sitting there with your kid and playing the game with them. Yep. Now, for, I, fun, for fun and for, and for your own in, in, in information. You know, if you see the absolutely. game. I had this conversation with my wife about Skylanders. You know, I, I didn't know that much about it, but everyone's into it. And I said, she said, is it violent? I said, well, I mean, the purpose of the game is to run around and kind of destroy things, and that includes little beasts and stuff. But it's for, the way I logic, logically put it together in my head, and maybe this is deceiving myself, is it's not human beings that he's killing. It's, it's a character defeating a character, and the character doesn't blood and guts everywhere. It just disappears. And I think that's at least an understanding of battle more than anything. Whereas, you know, when you, when you put Grand Theft Auto in front of him, that's a whole different ball game. It, it is. Ab you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, and, and different kids at different ages will find they have different sensitivities to yep. certain um, material. Yeah. 
you know, I've got four kids, you know, here, and each of them have different sensitivities. Yeah. And it's by sitting down, and it's, again, it's not just games, it's, you know, what are you reading? What are you watching? What's that on YouTube? Yeah. You know, because they each react differently to, um, you know, different kind of elements of, of whatever media they're going to. And, and it's important fact, that you understand what that is. As you as you rightly pointed out, on a games console or on an iPhone or an Android phone, you can restrict applications based on the rating that those applications or games have very easily, in fact. And the internet itself is, is less regulated because YouTube, you can't put a rating on. There are ratings there, but it's, it's a much harder thing for you to control. So the idea of reminding people that on your iPhone, let alone on your Xbox, you can have these, these parental controls, um, and, and whether it's time limits or age limits, that's where you need to be. And to, to put that in perspective, let's talk about the industry as a whole. It's massive. I mean, these blockbuster games, as we describe them now, Call of Duty, Grand Theft Auto, these things are grossing more than movies. Absolutely. Yep. They, they certainly are. And, you know, when Call of Duty came out, it was next to Avatar. It was the second largest ever entertainment release in the world. Mm. And now we've got GTA V, which is the biggest entertainment release ever. Amazing. And it's a game. <laughs> and and it's more immersive than a video than than a movie. Uh, you could play it for days, let alone hours, let alone weeks. And and that's that's an interesting space. Did your um, association bring in the this new mobile space, or are you more uh, PC console based? Oh, by default, you know we're move, we're moving there. Yeah, I mean you, you know our, our members do both. Yep. they've got digital, they've got mobile, and they've got you know if you want to call it traditional games. Mm. Um, and look, we know in Australia that. You know, the the traditional retail sales here about one point four, sorry, one point one billion, uh, and then you've got about another nine hundred million dollars worth of digital sales. So you know, there's not a huge difference between the two. So no. you know, it's an area we need to play in both spaces. Yeah, and and you need to because the other thing which we won't go into detail now, but we can talk about in the future is, and I've discussed it many times, is the whole. Uh, micro payment system, which is which is in consoles as well, but um, you know the idea of if you get a kind of cheap or free game, and it's actually the hook is in the in the micro payments, whether for good or for bad. Um, the best parts of the games are probably either unachievable in the in the simple term, or or they're behind a paywall of sorts, and that's again something parents need to understand that linking your credit card to something by default, you know, leads to a different place. And it's a, I mean, that's all these things give you something more to work towards. You had your classifications, now you've probably got a whole new thing in front of you when it comes to education and uh, and awareness. We, we do, you know, and even in classification, you know, we the whole classification system is based on this notion that you can buy this. I guess a product that has a beginning and an end, mm. and we can classify it. That's really easy. But now you know, you know, you buy a game now, as soon as you add it to your console, it starts updating, it changes. Mm. That's um, true. That's true. So now, what, out of the classification board, they sit and watch a movie and they give it a stamp. What do they do? They sit and play a game all the way through. I mean, I can't even think what happens there. Well, no, they don't. <laughs> um, you know, we provide them a lot of material. You know. It's the obligation on whoever's getting the classification Publisher. done yeah. is to supply all the contentious material. Yes. Uh, and that's from an, from an approved assessor, yeah. so someone who's had training. But ultimately, the board will make a decision. But that's, that's if you work on the basis that, hey, this, this game is on a disc and it's never going to change. Yeah. That's not how gaming works anymore. <laughs> not at all. So we know, it's, you know, for a start, there may not even be a disc. It's true. You, know, you, you may just subscribe to enter this this arena, this game, uh, that's more like a subscription model than a purchase model mm. that continually evolves and changes. So we need to, um, I guess, drag the government along with technology and say, hey, guys, how are we going to cope with this? We need to get them playing games, mate, down at Parliament House. Bit of, uh, bit of Titanfall, bit of Formula One 2014 when it comes out. Oh, I'll be down there. Let's get, let's set up some, uh, some play seats and I'll, I'll race Tony Abbott around the Albert Park circuit on Formula One 2014. That's a great idea. Let's do that. Um, Ron, great to chat. Uh, very informative and, and very interesting space you work in and uh, happy to chat whenever there's um, important information we need to let people know about. So thanks very much for your time, mate. No worries. Look forward to the next chat. Thanks, thanks. mate. And uh, you can get in touch anytime. Just go to the website, eftm.com.au.
listening. Now, um, the digital TV retune is happening right now. It's already happened in Brisbane and Perth and, and, and Melbourne and lots of other little places, but it happened in Sydney this week. Today is the day I'm recording that it happened. And, um, you know, what this means is that every digital TV in Australia at some point this year, if it hasn't already been done, needs to be retuned. Uh, it needs to be retuned after your transmitter area has been restacked, is what it's called in the game. So today, the UHF frequency was switched off in Sydney and, and SBS in 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 the most part, moved down to the VHF spectrum and is now in a different space. So your TV needs to know where it is. And if you're in uh, the northern beaches, down in Medigon and Barrel, or in the deep heart of the city, you're probably going to need to retune and, and, and Channel 7 will move as well. You won't know it's moved. It still looks the same. Still call the same number and channel and everything. It just won't be there if you don't retune because your TV won't know where to find it. Now, this is all important because... Unless we restack all the channels into a single smaller space, the, there isn't a contiguous uh, level of spectrum available for the government to sell. The government has auctioned that off, made a couple of billion dollars, and they want to use it. Uh, so next year, those telcos want to get in and start using that, that space, that spectrum. Uh, so simple message. If you, ha- if you live in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, and you haven't retuned your television, check whether you're getting SBS today. And if you're not, retune. Now, if you come across problems, the government have a helpline, 1-800-2010-13, australia.gov.au forward slash retune, which should help you. And that government helpline, you you know, they've got a list of all the units. They should be able to help you directly with your television. So worth checking out. Uh, it's it's a tough gig talking to people through their their reaching, but they're doing it and they're getting there. So hopefully, if you if you're missing SBS, you can get it back. Just do a retune on your TV. It's not hard. Just press menu. Um, you know what I'll do? I'll do it here on my big uh, TV here in the studio. Uh, I'll just make sure I mute it first. Um, let's go into the. I'm on channel eleven now. So let's do this live. Let's do this live. I'm going to press menu. No, it's not muted. Thanks for that. That's because it's coming out of a different set of speakers. I'll mute those. So uh, I'm going to hit menu. Now, my menu says, across the top, it says picture, audio, eco, setup, auction, option, digital setup. And I'm going to look at setup. Uh, and here it says auto installation, program setup, antenna setup, digital, input skip. So now before I do that, I'm going to check, see whether I've got, SBS. I'm going to press channel three. Failed to receive broadcast. So that's not good. That that means I've got to retune. And to retune, I go menu, I go setup, and I go antenna setup, digital. I reckon that's no, that's not it. It's not it. Uh, program setup, digital settings, additional search, execute additional search. So you can see there. That's not really similar at all to anything, you know, we've kind of been saying. So it's on my TV, it's press menu. This is a, a sharp TV. Menu, setup, program setup, digital setting, and then additional search. So those are all the things you've got to do, and then it'll go away and it'll find all the channels. So tough one. If you're, if you're not getting SBS, that's why, and you need to retune your TV. If you've got a problem, call the government, one uh, 800 2010-13. And if you've got a bigger problem or you want to chat about why it happened or how annoying it was for you or whatever it might be, just get in touch, go to the website, send me an email and we'll have a chat, eftm.com.au. And you're listening to Your Tech Life, eftm.com.au to get in touch, say good day, and to read everything about technology, cars and lifestyle in your life, eftm.com.au. Now, um, I heard a story in the news today about um, the credit card surcharge that we get slugged with around the place and whether or not we're actually getting gypped in all that. And uh, it did make me think because, uh, you know, as you know, I was in Melbourne last week a couple of times for um, for the Formula 1 Grand Prix. So I had taxis, I had the airline, I had the hotel. And, you know, I use my credit card as best I can. 
when I say credit card, I just mean a card with either the Visa or MasterCard logo on it because debit or credit, whatever it might be. And I've got an Amex card. I've got a few different cards, and I use them for different purposes. And I love the fact that they say, oh, there'll be an extra 1% on that or there'll be an extra 2% on that. And I'm thinking, what? What, is, what are my options there? I mean, who carries cash these days? Anyway, I thought we'd um, we'd uh, track down the people at MasterCard and have a chat about that. Matt Barr from MasterCard's online. G'day, Matt. Yeah, Trevor. Great to be with you, mate. Um, what what is this? What is the the scenario with surcharges? Because as I recall it, the, we were getting all these things where one card might attract something and it'd be five or ten percent or something. I recall there being whether it was an RBA or the ACCC, someone saying, "Hang on a minute, retailers, knock it off." What's the what's what's meant to be happening? Look, the I mean, at the guts of it, the issue's not surcharging. It's the extent of surcharging, and the other topic is blending of surcharging. So this is the, the so the 18th of, of March is the anniversary of um, the RBA bringing in new rules, which allowed um, ourselves and Visa, because uh, we're the two that are impacted by the the RBA regulation surcharging, to effectively police surcharging mm-hmm. and. The RBA's um, direction is that merchants can reasonably uh, recover the cost of, of accepting card payments. Because there's a cost. I mean, um, as, a, as a merchant, as a retailer, um, you are charged by um, whoever the bank or the vendor or whatever it might be, you're charged to process that payment. So I've always thought it was completely reasonable and uh, um, you know, to, to pay that extra because you choose to use a credit card, completely reasonable. But I guess the, the point here is, how much is reasonable? Uh, is that what you're saying? That is correct, yes. Yeah. So, so the um, couple of stats. So the, the average merchant service fee that's tracked by the RBA for, for ourselves and for Visa, it's 0.83%. Wow. For Amex, it's 1.73%. And for Diners Card, it's 2.02%. So there, there are differences uh, by schemes. Yep. So what we're saying is, look, what we see the surcharge of 2-3% regardless of card type you know, we say, well, one, that's that's an excessive surcharge because it's miles above the the 0.83% cost for accepting a MasterCard or Visa transaction. But it, it's also unfair because it's we're effectively subsidising Amex and Diners cards, which are more expensive for merchants to accept. Yeah, right. So, so a couple of points there about the the other the other point to um, kind of make in this whole debate is. Uh, yes, it's 0.83% to accept a MasterCard or Visa, but it's actually not free to accept cash. So, I mean, there are lots of costs associated with with handling cash and storing it and banking it and and, and, uh, shrinkage, I think is the polite term. (laughs) So the debate is not quite as straightforward as just comparing MasterCard, Visa, Amex and Diners and and whether 2% is too much. So, But anyway, the 800 million um, that we've uh, estimated in surcharges that have been applied, we we think is, is two times the figure that would be reasonable if... Um, sort of around like a one percent surcharge was was the average. Right? We mm. think you know that we think that's much more in line with the reasonable cost of acceptance. So, four hundred million dollars. Um, we're saying that's a hundred dollars for an average Australian household per year in excess surcharges. Mm. Is it is it safe to say that as a consumer you could probably spot the people that are um, more reasonably explaining or charging the surcharge? by those who do differentiate by card type because of those fee structures? So if someone says it's um, you know, it's 1% for Visa and MasterCard, it's 2% for this, and it's, you know, if they say that, does it, should it give you more confidence that, they're, that they're, they're, they're charging what they're paying? Yeah, look, I think a surcharge regime, as you've just described, would look at that and go, that's pretty reasonable. Because right? yeah. and, and, one thing, there's clearly not the same cost to accept the MasterCard versus an Amex. And um, you know, around one percent. If, if the weighted average is eighty-three point eighty-three percent, that's you know, that's it's hard to argue with that. But but there's lots of examples. Uh, I noticed that uh, in, in the choice release that went out today, they were talking about uh, uh, a surcharge on, on Qantas of five hundred twenty-three percent. Uh, given some of the, uh, given it's a, a flat fee that Qantas is charged and some of those airfares yeah, aren't sure. very high. So so you get pretty high percentages when you have that kind of uh, surcharging practice. So. And and just finally, I guess, on, on the surcharging, um, is it also the case these days still that a, a smaller, and I mean much smaller retailer, will pay a higher merchant fee per transaction than a, a larger one because of their turnover and therefore... 
you know, if, if it's more than 1%, you know, and it's just a little cafe, I mean, that might be because that's what they're charging versus David Jones or something. Is that possible or is it is it really all down at that 1% mark? Oh, look, the, the, the RBA numbers are certainly an average. Uh, in the end, there's a number of different interchange categories. So uh, telecommunications companies, utility companies get caught up in... Uh, some of these category codes, which attract a low interchange rate, and these are structures that were put in place by, by the RBA when uh, when when um, uh, the interchange regulation came into play. Mm. So a cafe, a small business, won't fall into those categories. So there'll be a little bit of unders and overs. So yeah, reasonably, a cafe will have uh, a higher interchange average than than the average. Mm. Um, but it's um, it's not really driven by by scale. It's it's driven by some of those uh, RBA structures that were put in place. And you know what, Matt? I'm not even going to talk about taxis. All right, let's just let's not even go there. All right, let's just leave that alone. And I recommend everyone uses Uber. Just so much more controlled and understanding. But anyway, um, you are the head of market development and innovation. Now that gets me a bit excited because. This space is so exciting. When you think about the, the move to online shopping uh, and how we use uh, you know, credit cards, debit cards, whatever they might be, online for payments now, uh, when I think about things that the Commonwealth Bank have done, Westpac with, I think it's the pay tag, um, we've got the tap and go, which has just taken this country by storm as, as best I can see. You know, I just do it by default now and I see people just tapping away. You've got NFC in phones. I mean, is this the space that you're working in day-to-day in innovation? I, yeah, I live and breathe this, this digital transition that we're, we're going through. And look, I certainly agree. It's, it's a fascinating time to be in, in, in the payments industry. People will be talking about mobile and mobile payments for the longest time. And we're in the middle of a, of a of a pretty profound transition. So, no, it is a fascinating space at the moment. What, um, you know, I, I look at uh, NFC technology, for example, which is kind of the core of what, what Tap and Go Pay Pass is. And, you know, mm. built into phones, some phones, but not the biggest Apple one and whatnot. But do you think that the NFC built into devices is the is the long goal? Because for me, I look at it and I go, I carry around a wallet now, which is tiny, um, I, I, there's enough space in there for maybe two notes. I don't carry coins. I carry a driver's license, and I have several cards for different bank accounts and things. I, I just, I, I just can't imagine that it's not really closely within my grasp that I don't need a wallet anymore because oh, look, I've got I a phone. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's spot on. And, and look, it'll, it will take a while to play out, but I think we see enough of the. The, the, the signs in Australia to be confident that it's 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 a question of when we get to that point, not if. Mm. So I mean, PayPass um, started in Australia back in 2006, and CBA is a it's a it's a close partner with with Mastercard. Really helped lead that charge, and and today we we talk about one in four payments as contactless now in the market, wow. which is an extraordinary statistic. Globally, that's pretty good too, isn't it? Oh, it's world leading. It's a world leading statistic. So oh. Australians have really embraced it, and and large part because um, you know we've had fantastic support from across the, the financial services players, mm. and and you've got to a point now, and it's it's not just them. Sorry, it's uh, critically major merchants, which are, which are really uh, also kind of feeling the benefit and talking about the benefit, the productivity yeah, if, if benefit, the service the stations, benefit if the it. service stations don't throw it into every every petrol station in Seven Eleven, then it's harder to use. If it's everywhere, it's Correct. prolific. At the, if it's at the supermarkets, it becomes easy to do. Um, and yep. you, without the two sided adoption from both the the banks, uh, the retailers, and then the acceptance from uh, from the public. And I, I remember doing stories on a current affair about the fear of of pay pay past kind of technologies and. You know, I'll admit I was not a fan of it early on because the the fear of it was was greater than mm. the than the the, the upside. But uh, it's the pr- yeah. protection exists around it. Tell me about the the MasterPass digital wallet. That's not something I'm I'm well aware of. Okay, yeah. So we're uh, um, we're coming up on the one year anniversary of its its launch in the market, and and its launch was was very much, I guess, just a technology proof point at the time. So we've we've come a, a long way. So what the MasterPass um, digital payments platform is is, is both an, an acceptance network mm-hmm. so the same way you talk about contactless terminals needed to be you know coming ubiquitous in, in physical stores then the master pass um, uh, checkout button and, you know the plan is to make that ubiquitous across online merchants and it's actually not about online retail but it's actually just digital payments 
and maybe we could talk about some of the examples in, in, in a bit. Oh, so the, sure. you know, so so we're working with a whole bunch of, of, of major brands uh, that have integrated today. So JB Hi-Fi is, is, is live. Uh, we've got Iconic and Ozsale and uh, Event Cinemas is live. So there's some really big Aussie brands that have embraced it in the early days. Mm-hmm. And then the, the flip side of our of, of, is in the digital wallet. So the secure digital containers that can hold the customer information, the card information, address information to pass back to merchants to streamline that, that checkout. And, and critically with what we're doing is the, that wallet side is not our relationship. It's not our wallet. It, it's a, we have a white label platform. We're letting our partners uh, deploy their wallets to market. And, and that's a real differentiator for us in, in the market. So CBA is, is live today. Uh, Bendigo Bank is live today. Uh, we've got NAB sitting in the wallet selector behind invitation codes, and, and, and Westpac has said that they're publicly said that they're working with us as well. So, and, and there's a and there's a there's a pipeline of, of other discussions uh, going on. So, so so in our uh, design, our architecture, Australians will have a relationship through their main bank where they store their details with their bank because that's actually what they've told us where they'd rather have their, their payment relationship with. Mm-hmm. And those wallets will then be used to check out wherever you see the, the master pass checkout button, payment button. So, I mean, I don't want to drag you into another payment system, but I'll do the talking and I'm just trying to relate it for people. Um, is it the situation that the the future in this space is to be able to go to a retailer and say, I want to choose to pay by MasterCard and and I'm authenticating with you know, a username and a password, for example, or, or a key number and a password, whatever it might be, in the same way that people might use PayPal today, which, you know, I make payments with PayPal all the time and I put in an email address and a password and I feel great about it. And, you know, from, as you say, that, that information is, is with PayPal and they make the approval of the transaction to the to the merchant, to the to the shop, and I feel comfortable the shop's not uh, not going to have to get all my, my details that I don't want them to have. That's the space where we need to go with banks. Is that where we're heading? Oh yeah, look, I, look. I mean, I think look, PayPal over the years has done a terrific job job building out that service, um, and obviously the, the relationship with eBay was instrumental in helping them get to a position of, of scale. What we're saying is, and so you see in our business as digital, you know, digital payments, and especially with the the emergence of the smartphone over the last sort of seven eight years. Yeah. That's a bit of a game changer, and now we're starting to see real acceleration and movement towards digital payments. And I guess and what I, I mean that. is, what it, what is a digital payment to you? So in in, in three years, um, you know, mums, dads, grandparents, and and you and me, um, how does a payment happen? I go to JB Hi-Fi, I click, I want this game, um, I go to the checkout. What is what is the what is oh, what is the, what is the, what is the simplicity that occurs? Um, is it is it just a, a, a code and a, and a password? Is it is it using your device paired with with the computer? What does what does that future space look like for us? Oh look, yeah, sorry, I, I misheard your question before. No, no, you're spot on. So the, the the wallets themselves will be accessed through a username and a password. Um, it's up to our partners, to be honest. They can they can leverage it back into. You know the authentication they use for internet banking, for example. So we're flexible in terms of of how that authentication yeah, is right. done. Obviously, we've got requirements to be met. Uh, but there's also services um, that we've announced that are coming in the future, which will enable. Um, I, I think you said sort of device binding, or you know, we can we can leave tokens with merchants, which mean when you come back next time, it's a one-click checkout because you've already given permission to, to that merchant. Mm-hmm. To retain your your information, and and when you're talking about some of these in-app experiences that uh, you know, if you're if you're hopping in and out between applications and typing in passwords and stuff, it's not actually a very good experience. So mm. we're solving for some of those other uh, scenarios too. So it's a pretty exciting journey. But yeah, you in the end, it's you, you're not having to type in usernames and um, billing addresses and delivery addresses and card data and three-digit codes um, on the back of a piece of plastic. Mm. It's, it's stored securely behind a username and a password and, and some other smarts that uh, we probably won't go into in public that you know secure all that and, and make it both convenient but also a very secure environment. You know what, Matt? I cannot wait. Honestly, I can't wait to ditch the wallet. Um, that's my most... It's my most forward-looking thing. I just want to ditch the wallet because I feel I don't need it um, and I feel that's that's close. Um, and I think the given the the online shopping thing just continues to go strength to strength, it's such an exciting space, and you must uh, 
You must love working in it, and uh, and the fact that you know what's coming and we don't bugs me. But um, that's the life of a of a person on the outside, and that's the life of a person on the inside, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely, no. Look, it is certainly a fascinating time. There's there's a lot of change going on. There's a lot of change to come, and. Uh, look, and one other one other final point for me is in the mm. end, look, it's really not the payment is a really important part of these 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 digital experiences. But mm. actually, the the goal is to make that as frictionless as possible. And yeah. There's a lot of other activity where we're looking, and, and look, other technology partners and, and merchants are doing both pre and post the transaction, which is actually, to be honest, I think where an enormous amount of the value will be will be realised. Well, and that's the so, point of difference. If if ComBank doesn't do something innovative outside of and in addition to what MasterCard does, well, what's the point of staying with them or, or going to them? You know, we're comparing banks. I mean, I've made the, made the statement that I, I, if, if St. George doesn't come out with Paytag in the next, you know, short while, I'm switching banks because that whole tap and go thing is the future for me. So you're right. It's about the value add that the, the banks, the retailers and all those people add to the core system that you provide, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, yeah. and um, we're sort of looking to, to bring platforms that partners could leverage to help all those experiences. So no, it's, it's a fascinating time. There'll be lots of change, and I expect Trevor, will, we may well be having a few of these chats over the coming years. So. Look forward to it, mate. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time, um, and we'll talk again very soon. No problem. Thanks, Thank, Trevor. Cheers. Thank you, Matt. And that's Matt Barr, the uh, Head of Market Development and Innovation at uh, MasterCard Australia. Very exciting times. Uh, thanks for listening. You can get in touch. Just go to the website, eftm.com.au. Your Tech Life with Trevor Long. So, yep, it was a bit of a rock star week for me last week. Uh, anyone that follows me on Twitter or Facebook would know that I um, I did get to have a pretty exciting end to my week. Uh, I, um, I love my Formula One, and I was invited to travel to Melbourne uh, with AT&T, which is an American company. I just thought of them as kind of America's Telstra, but... Much bigger than that, and they they were inviting me down to see the Red Bull Racing Team, which I'm a massive fan of. So I said yes to that very quickly. Um, I had to come back on Thursday night for um, the John Farnham concert at um, All Phones Arena, which uh, again you might know I'm a stupidly massive fan, and he rocked the house. And then I was lucky to go back down again on Friday and spend Saturday down there as well uh, after an invitation from True Phone, who are part of the Caterham F1 team. So. It was really interesting, uh, quite interesting stuff. Obviously, I was like a pig in you-know-what, uh, loving life, but great to see behind the scenes of a Formula 1 team and think not just about the, the engine, the wheels, the, the car, and to think, but to think about how the team works. And, you know, literally, I mean, that was the purpose. So don't, get, don't get me wrong, the, the, the purpose of these companies thinking about people like me and taking people like me down there is to educate us and to show us things that we might not normally have thought about. And... You know, let's start with AT and T. It was interesting for me to see they have an advanced team which travels around the world ahead of the Formula One uh, circus and sets up a, a temporary point of presence at the racetrack. And they they get that done five or six days out from the race. They touch base with the with the team and check that it's all working. And what they set up is a a high speed private network essentially, which then connects the track to the head office. Uh, and to the engine factory. So they essentially have, from the engine factory to their office in England, to the pit wall, to the garage, and to the car, a full local private network. It's amazing, and high speed too. Uh, 100 gigabyte of data is transferred across that network in a race weekend, and that allows them to have people uh, as a part of the team, but not travelling with the team. So you think, if you've ever, if you've ever heard the, the work from home or the remote office policy, well, you know, this is taken to the extreme. They save a lot of money um, by having uh, not too many people travelling, or perhaps by having the the right people travelling. So, if someone's just data analysing, leave them at home. Uh, bring someone down who can work on the car. Perhaps a uh, hundred gigabyte of data transferred every race race weekend. And you know, AT and T then provide that service to other teams as well. But here's what's really cool. Because they, they developed the technology that allows them to set up such a quick network, in, and they can set it up so quickly, they can use that same technology in disaster areas. So, for example, um, earthquake floods, uh, they could bring in their temporary point of presence and have connectivity for the locals in no time. 
And I think that's amazing. Well, whether it's for the locals or emergency services, it doesn't matter. It's it's a service they can provide, and I just think that's fantastic, and a really good learning for um for me from that trip. Now, the other team I looked at was the Caterham F1 team. Now they're with respect to them down the other end of the grid, a smaller team, a lower budget, uh, and they have a, a partnership with a company called Truefone, T-R-U, Truefone. And here's what's really cool. These people created their own proprietary patented SIM card technology. Now, a SIM card, the little thing you put in your mobile phone, what they do is, again, you know, 30 or 40 traveling members of staff, each of them have a SIM card in their mobile phone. Now, that SIM card normally has one number on it, so your Aussie number, and then you travel overseas, it's your Aussie number, but you're in England. Uh, Or you get another SIM card with an English number. And then if you're a businessman, you're setting up business in England and in America, you go to America, you got an American SIM card. But what happens when you're back home and someone from America wants to call you on your US number, you're not contactable. And then you've got the, the... the problem of the global roaming fees if you were to keep that SIM card in the phone. So it gets really interesting, that, um, but it's a difficult thing to manage. So True Phone's technology allows you to have one SIM card and a huge number of local numbers. So these guys on the catering team travel around the, the world and they've got a local number in every country so they can call each other locally in Australia and local friends can call them in Australia on, a, on an Aussie mobile number. And then when they're in England, their family can call them on their their US UK number. And while they're in Australia, their family can call the UK number and make a local connection. It's a it's a really interesting piece of technology. It's not really consumer driven, so you and I wouldn't probably want one. Uh, the cost might not be comparable, but for a business person trying to balance, you know, availability, uh, simplicity, and streamlining things, True Phone. I would love to hear from anyone that is genuinely operating a global business, whether it's in just two countries or three or or ten. I'd love to hear whether you've heard of this or whether there's any benefit in something like this for you. True phone. And the the last thing I'll tell you about is um, Hisense. Uh, We've talked about them as a TV manufacturer before. Hisense are um, a TV manufacturer making it big in Australia. They've got a new Vision TV range coming out in May. Huge advertising blitz on the weekend during the coverage. Plus, they became the official TV supplier to the Australian Grand Prix. And they had over nearly 800 TVs around the track in corporate hospitality, on the big screens, heaps of different screens. And here's what's amazing. No failure rate. Now, when you whack a 1,000 TVs out, there is a percentage chance that some will have problems. And my information is that in the past... Um, people like the Grand Prix have had problems with their, with certain sets around the, the track. And when you have problems, it means you've got to, you know, replace one, get it fixed, whatever. And when you roll out 800 TVs and none of them have a problem, they all work seamlessly, you're going to be happy with that technology. So good work by Hisense. Great to see them putting some bucks behind their name and hopefully that'll give people the the the, the concept that this is a, not, a, not a small company. This is a company that's um, here to play the game. Uh, Hisense. A new Vision TV range powered by Android coming in May. Uh, your tech life, eftm.com.au. Your tech life, the name of the show. My name is Trevor Long. You can get in touch. Just go to the website, eftm.com.au. Now, I've got three kids, and yes, they get to use the iPads regularly. We set time limits. Don't worry. Relax. And they do really cool educational things. So let's not have that debate right now. But um, some really cool stats um, came out today from a Roy Morgan uh, research study called the Young Australian Survey. 53% of children aged 6 to 13 own or have used an iPad. And, and that's that's one thing. That's staggering. But in one year, that's up from 33%. It's just unbelievable. Kids aged 10 to 13, it's 57%. So we're talking about some serious usage of uh, of tablet computers in our marketplace. Um, and, you know, that's, that's an interesting trend for us to think about in terms of education and all those different spaces. But uh, another cool thing I saw today was from Kensington and... Um, you know, sometimes uh, you get the odd infographic and all these kind of things, and um, it's interesting to look at how they um, how they represent the different 
things that are happening in our life which um, we probably don't need to have represented to us. Sam Goldstein from Kensington's on the line. G'day, mate. How are you doing? Very good. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Mate, 99% of people allow their children to use their smart devices. There's not really many kids that aren't getting access to the parents' um, smartphone or tablet, is there? No, absolutely not. It's uh, a little bit scary to think about it, but I guess that's the age we're living in today, isn't it? And I guess where, where you come into this, because this is... You know, this is the funny world of of, um, of trying to get people talking about products and everything, but you need to be in this space thinking about why kids are using products, why anyone's using products, and the damage that's happening with products because that's the space you're in. You're, you're creating covers, uh, different products to either secure or, um, or enhance devices. Um, you know, just looking at where kids are using them for a start, traveling being one, 53% of children are using mobile devices when traveling. You know, how does a company like Kensington look at that data and say, what are we going to do? What, what have we got to build? What have we got to make? And what do we need to bring to market? Is that what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, for us, we're in the business of manufacturing accessories for these devices, as you say. So, you know, doing research like this is really important for us to, to understand how and why and, and where people are using these devices. And particularly as kids use them more and more, obviously that, pr- that protective element of, of those accessories uh, comes to the fore. So, not just where they're using them, but how and, and the types of things they're doing on them. So, um, you know, we've, we found not just traveling, but even places like at church, for instance, came up in our research. Yeah. And so what do you, what do, you do? What do, you, what, how do you bring that in? What does that mean? You've got to make sure you've got an easy volume switch on your covers because you don't want the kids' Angry Birds uh, theme coming out at the end of a hymn, do we now? <laughs> no, absolutely not. But I guess we look at it in terms of, you know, they're taking these devices not just in the home but, but out of the home as yeah, well. Yeah. So it's really important that it's not just a, a basic case that you or I might use, but when the kids are using them, that risk of damage is you know, far greater. So we saw that um, you know, 44% of people said that the damage that their kids have caused their devices is in the range of 200 to $1,000, which is a pretty scary stat if you've outlaid the cash to, to purchase one of these devices. So, Especially when they walk into a you know, JB or somewhere where your products are, let alone the, the many others, and they think, if I had to just spent fifty, sixty, a hundred dollars on whatever the the case might be, whether it's a you know super duper you know um, tradie style protection or just the very simple level of protection around the device, it's amazing what the most simple level of protection will do to protect a device in simple drops and stuff, isn't it? Absolutely, it's um, you know a lot goes into those those products that look simple on the outside, but you know we have a whole variety of products that to suit that from you know your basic. Uh, silicon-style protection bands under our black belt um, range, and then to some more heavy-duty stuff under our safe grip range, which even offers simple features like a, a, a handy uh, carry handle for the kids so they don't drop the device when they're walking along with it on their way into church or into a restaurant, for instance. And I guess the, the other interesting thing about the knowing just how much they're using these devices outside of home um, kind of justifies your position in that, um, that, that, you call it the security space with the, the, the remote find. You've got all these great little pieces of technology that allow people to, to not only track and find the devices, but, um, but that's going to help them when they're on the road and they've gone, well, did we leave it in the car or where, where is it? Absolutely. I think you're talking about our Proximo product there, which has yeah. actually just been relaunched um, recently. Um, so it now actually works across Samsung devices as well as just the Apple devices mm-hmm. um, and some new handy features in the app as well. So some quiet zones and so on. So if the, uh, if the parents don't want the device going off uh, in the home, they can uh, set that as a quiet zone so that they're not bothered there. But as soon as they're outside the house, obviously it'll alert them when they leave that device behind. And, and a simple refresher for people on that, with the, the Proximo is basically you get a little key fob um, or, a, or you could have a little um, a bag tag. You get a couple of little options, but then you install the app on your phone and it links via smart Bluetooth. And if you were to say leave the house with your keys, It'll the key will beep telling you that you left your app, your, your phone behind. If you lose your keys, you can use the phone to find the key. So it's a multi-purpose solution, isn't it? And I think that's that's where, frankly, innovation in mobile is just awesome. It's not just cases anymore. It's it's a whole solution. It is. That's absolutely right. And, you know, you know, one of the things that we're really seeing with this Proximo product is if you look at mum as the centre of the household, you know, she's got a huge amount of things to do and to look after and to, to ensure that, you know, she knows where they are at all times, whether that's the kid's school bag, the iPad, her phone, her husband's keys, for instance. So this is a tool that we really think allows her to, you know, really keep on top of everything in her day-to-day life and save her a bit of time. 
What um, I mean in the in the I guess the the tablet space. What what are we seeing in terms of cases these days? Because I I've seen a few little innovations, but does it get harder and harder to to crack into the into the market with new things when so many companies are doing it and so many companies are doing similar things? How how does a company like Kensington stand out in that space? Oh, look, it's certainly a challenge, and it's a it's a busy market space. But conducting research like we've done here is is certainly paramount in in the way that we go about developing those products. And and really, what we try to do as a business is allow people to get more out of their devices. So we know that they're buying them, whether it's for for entertainment or for work or whatever. Um, it, it's about being more productive with that device and and allowing them, you know, to to leverage the features of that device better than they would be able to without our accessories. So. If we're looking at cases, it's about building features in like uh, like Bluetooth keyboards and so on. And we have a whole range of Bluetooth keyboard cases, certainly designed to suit the different ways that people use their devices. Mm. Well, now, going back to the um, the Safe Group, would you say? I mean, how I've got a couple of cases for the iPad for the kids. Um, one we bought in America, which is I don't know, it looks like a gummy bear or somebody thing. It's a you know, it's a strange looking thing, an eye guy or something like that. I think they're called. And another one from another company in Melbourne, which is just this big foamy style case. And it's fantastic because these things can literally be dropped. And, you know, that's what happens when two-year-olds pick up iPads. Is the safe grip the kind of thing that is, is a bit for everyone? Because, you know, there's a, there's a slot there for your pen. It's got a handle. You can stand it up and use it. Um, is it the point where you could kind of just leave it with the kids and have a bit of peace of mind? Certainly. Those ones are primarily designed for, I guess, where the kids are the primary user of the tablet. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are, you know, I guess, designed in light, loud and bright colours that are attractive to the kids and so on. And they do have a space for a uh, for a, a specific kid's stylus, which goes by the name of Gummy Grip that we also have. And they're all made out of non-toxic materials and so on. So if the kids are chewing on them, uh, there's no dramas or worries there for the parents. But outside of that, we've also got a black belt range of rugged cases, which are maybe designed for... Uh, you know, those instances where the parents use the tablet as well and maybe don't want something quite as gaudy and bright as, as what those safe grip cases may be. Yeah, you end up um, wanting to take the, the, the case off, the, the bright coloured one, and uh, then you forget to put it back on and, and then it gets one crack in it and you're kicking yourself. So you need to find that, that middle ground, don't you, where you go with a black belt. And, you know, thing like the black belt, I'm just on your website, it's, it's a, like an $80 case. It's a rugged case that's going to protect it and, and mean that you're not going to be worried about using it yourself because it doesn't look silly. But then, you know, the kid, the, 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 the safe grip, it's only 60 bucks, and it's such a cool-looking thing. And here's the funny thing. I think that people don't probably don't often want to admit, but a lot of the times parents are buying a new iPad because they want the new one. And the second, the old one just gets handed down to the kids. So it, that's the one you want to protect. And it's interesting. Our, we've got an iPad 1 and an iPad 2 that um, the kids use. And, and they're both, you know, my iPad 1 still in pretty good nick, actually. Screen intact. iPad 2, cracked screen um, from, you know, being dropped on tiles. Uh, but even with a cracked screen in that case, I know that it's not going to get any worse. That's what we do is we protect them that way, leave them with the kids, and, and we know how they're going. Absolutely. Good products, mate, um, and fun research. Uh, you must have had a bit of fun when you got the research back and looked at some of the, some of the data. Um, there was not, I mean, seventy nine percent of people uh, reported their children have damaged their smart device. That's a bloody lot. It's a big number, isn't it? It's scary. It's very scary. So uh, let's uh, let's we need to see the um, where, where's where are the best stockers of Kensington? I don't want to promote anyone that's not stocking them properly, but your safe grips and those kind of things. Where's the best place to to get those? They're available in, an, in a number of retail outlets throughout the country, but Safe Grip and some of these newer products, probably the easiest place to spot them at the moment is on Kensington.com. Kensington.com takes you straight to the the Aussie place as well, and then you can just search uh, search for Safe Grip or I just yep. search for kids as well, and uh, up they came there right on the screen. Uh, Sam, great to chat as always, mate. Not a problem. Thanks very much, Trevor. Check out all those uh, products at Kensington.com. Thanks for listening. EFTM.com.au. I was clapping then. That, that wasn't me in the background, I admit. Um, I'm going to give away a stack of products from Lenovo. 
I'm telling you this exclusively here at the very end of the podcast because I want to gauge your excitement level. I want to know, is this a big deal or not? I want to know from you on Twitter, is this cool? Are you excited about a potential Ultrabook and Android tablet giveaway? Probably do first place Ultrabook, second place tablet. Uh, and I'll give a, uh, a backpack, an Ovo ThinkPad uh, backpack as well with the Ultrabook. The Ultrabook, oh, I just need to breathe when I tell you this, is a, is a Lenovo X1 Carbon. It is gorgeous. It is thin. It is light. It has a 14-inch screen. Intel Core i5 processor. It's probably, I have to check my records, but it's worth about $1,500. And it's beautiful. It is honestly one of the most beautiful laptops you'll see. The The keyboard technology is amazing. This is a cracking prize, let me tell you that, plus a Lenovo Yoga tablet. So an Android tablet available as well. So I'll probably give them away first and second prize style. Um, and we'll do that within the next month on EFTM. But I'm, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to do it until I get five tweets that say they give an opinion on whether that's a cool prize or not. I want five tweets. So you have to assume right now that no one else has tweeted, and you have to tweet me, at Trevor Long. Once I've got five tweets, I'll pull my finger out, I'll take some photos of it, and I'll get it up on the website as a giveaway. It'll be a, you know, tell me how good the world is kind of giveaway. And uh, we'll have a cracking amount of fun with that. And uh, I cannot wait. It's a beautiful... I've got one myself, um, which I've got to start using a bit more. But um, I'm, I'm kind of setting it all up still. Just open it up now. The screen is so big. It takes up almost the whole lid. It's so thin. Oh, it's just beautiful. And the keyboard is backlit. It's just a very nice laptop. Uh, Ultrabook. The Lenovo X1 Carbon. You're going to love it. Uh, so tweet me, at Trevor Long. Let me know that you're excited or not. And I will get the ball rolling. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. This is your tech life. It's great to have your company. You do need to get in touch if you want my help or want to have a chat. Just go to the website, eftm.com.au. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. We'll talk to you next week.